0: Today we have a guest teacher uh, wrapping up our Judges Series. His name is Daniel Montgomery. And as he comes up here, um, really excited uh, that we've been walking through this Judges Series. Glad that, grateful that Daniel has agreed to tee us up this last week. Uh, When I reached out to Daniel to ask him if he'd consider teaching and this passage, uh, or we're in Judges, and, and I remember, well, maybe you don't remember, uh, actually, you probably do," he uh, said. "Man, actually, God's taken me back to Judges recently, so this is this is really cool. So uh, excited to hear the overflow of that. Before uh, we turn it over for you to teach, just doing a quick man challenge minute with you. Where where'd you grow up, Daniel?
1: Well, I grew up in Bray, California, and then, Orange County.
0: Okay, and how did you become a Christ follower? Because you did not grow up in the church,
1: correct? No, I grew up as a, a church brat. My mom was converted at age five. And so I grew up in the church, um, but uh, Ministries of Young Life, you guys know Young Life, great ministry in the area to support, they go after the marginalized, and, or at least in our city they did. And they reached out, invited me to Young Life camps and went and heard the gospel afresh and yeah, game changer.
0: Nice. Tell us a little bit about your family.
1: Uh, Mandy's my wife and I've got four kids, Elijah 18, Stella 16, Levi 14, and Georgia about to be 12.
0: Wow. Okay. And then tell us, uh, you have any hobbies?
1: Yeah, I like to mountain bike and outdoors and everything from fly fishing to hiking, you name it.
0: Outdoors, okay. Favorite movie? Ooh,
1: uh, Heat. You wanna know Heat by Michael Mann? Yeah, that's a good one. You gotta watch it. Gotta, we can have movie night, brother. Great. <laughs> Bring your VHS tape, it'd be great. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> all right, last thing, uh, or two, two last things. What do you do for your day job now?
1: Yeah, I'm a management consultant. Uh, so management consultant, working with executive teams and CEO founders, doing executive coaching. So building out learning and development opportunities.
0: That's awesome, man. And tell us, so we got a room full of dudes. Uh, it's called Man Challenge for mm-hmm. a reason, uh, not to prove our worth or anything, but if you knew every one of us in this room, whatever man challenge you gave this room, the answer is yes, now what is it? What would, what would
1: that be? The first thing that comes to my mind is uh, I oftentimes talk to men about marriage. We were just talking about marriage. The, what was the brother that was up right, here? Yeah. yeah, and that's a big passion of mine and I think our standards are pretty low, so my standard is is it a chase? What's the chase look like in relationship to your wife? Not mm-hmm. just a, we have a Christian marriage, we go to church, but like are you In pursuit Mm. would be my question
0: it's big okay let's uh, pray and we'll turn over to Daniel father thank you for every man that's uh, here in this moment Lord know there's lots of different stories and and multiple reasons as to what brought us into this room Um, a lot of weight carried in here father Mm. would you remind all of us that that peace comes only through your son Jesus and so I pray that our peace would flow from from your son Jesus this morning God thank you for being for us gathering in your name like this this morning and I pray that you would use Daniel and um, to tee up your truth in such a way that it tees up um, all of us um, to unpack what you need us to unpack today so that we're not weighted down um, and that we can walk in freedom today as we gaze on you. And so thank you in advance for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give a man-challenge welcome to my friend Daniel mm-hmm. Montgomery. Uh,
1: Ronnie, uh, those of you that know him, he is a uh, gifted leader, but he's also uh, a prayer warrior. And this week he um, sent me a, a message, and he prayed over me, Proverbs 11.25, uh, and the generous will prosper, and those who refresh will also be refreshed. And he does that. If you've ever been in his presence one-on-one, he's generous, he's giving, and as he seeks to refresh, my prayer is that he's continually refreshed, as well as all the men that make up this ministry. There's a lot that goes into pulling this off, and so be sure to give your table leader thanks and the leaders that make this possible that are really pace setters in this mission. All right, uh, how about a pop quiz, right? 6 a.m., why not? Um, and before you freak out, it's just one multiple choice question. So the, the question is, if you could choose, what would you choose to embrace today? Uh, a, success, B, mediocrity, or C, failure? Now, if you could choose, what would you choose today? Sort of a dumb dumb quiz, right? I mean, not, not many of us would choose... Uh, B, mediocrity, um, unless you're the, the dude in The Big Lebowski, which is another film. Any Big Lebowski fans out there? Yeah, so, some? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Same same guy, All right? We can have man movie night. Uh, but, but in The Big Lebowski, there's the dude who is a uh, white, middle-aged uh, loafer. He likes to spend his days smoking weed, drinking white Russians, and bowling. That's essentially the dude. He's also known as his dudeness, um, but that's a tangent. You know, most of us would not wake up and say, Hey, I want to choose um, mediocrity today. I want to be mediocre. You know, maybe I'm a manager. I want to be a mediocre manager, or not many of us would say, Hey, today I want to fail. I want to fail in my work, my marriage, my husbanding, my, my friendships. That's what I'm going for today. Most of us would choose success. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. What does it mean to pursue success? We all wanna succeed at work, we wanna succeed in our marriages, we wanna succeed in our friendships, but here's the challenge. The success we all want in all of the various domains of our lives um, can usher in all sorts of temptations. And we're all familiar with this, whether it's uh, leaders, CEOs, uh, celebrities, sports figures, they they experience great success, or just friends and family. They experience success, and then comes the temptation. And then comes utter failure. Sometimes they even lose their lives. And so, what is success? You know, what what exactly is success? What are the, the dangers of success as we step into the book of Judges? And what is success according to God? You know, we could spend the whole morning just talking about what is success according to God. I think Pastor Kyle got at it somewhat this past weekend when he pointed us to submission. You know, success equals submission. And I know that's not a a popular word, is it? You know, it's not like the the Bible study, maybe if you invited a friend. but, But I would argue that submission is at the heart of the gospel. Submission is fundamental to the gospel. I mean, the gospel is a declaration of war. It's a a call to put down our arms. The call to repentance and faith is a call to give up. Give up and give in to the grace of God. So it's an indictment, but it's also an invitation. The call to submit is a call to good news. The world doesn't orbit around you. I mean, even in AA, uh, there's the common phrase that you are not God, and you need something or someone beyond yourself, oftentimes called a higher power. Well, in the church, we call that higher power God, who's revealed himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can surrender. We, We can give up on us being the center of our lives. And so for people who struggle with submission, I would ask, and You would need to ask and answer, who am I submitting to? Who am I under the authority of? Because the gospel, the good news this morning, is you can have life with God under the rule of God. You can have life with God under the rule of God. And some of us here are like, yeah, I like that life with God. I like that abundant life. That's what I I want. I want abundance. I want life. But here's the key it requires submission, it requires being under the rule of another. And that's where it brings us to Judges, because in Judges, it's a people, it's a culture who were not living under the rule of another. They were living the self rule life. It's best summarized in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where we read In those days, when the Judges governed, there was no king in Israel. Every man, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Translation no submission. Rebellion, spiritual, moral, anarchy, defiance. Every man, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone everyone did what they thought was right. And the the danger is there's a way that seems right. There's a way that that feels right and, and looks right. But in the end, it leads to death. And, and as we work through this book of Judges, what we're going to see is there's this cycle of sin. And this is the, this, I believe this is the final message in Judges. And so I'm going to do a little bit of review to kind of to cap off this message. And as we work through this cycle and this story, I want you to examine yourself. And as you look at the, the people in the book of Judges, it's, it's oftentimes easy to kind of associate ourselves with the hero. But where do I exist? Where can I place myself in this story? Where does the fallen condition in the book of Judges register with my fallen condition, with my, with my lostness? And as you ask that question, I want to encourage you to cry out to God. Because what we find in the scripture is God has a strong history of responding to those who recognize their sinfulness, who recognize their fallenness, and cry out to him for help. And so in the book of Judges, there's this vicious cycle that repeats itself a number of times. And the, the cycle begins with, with peace. God blesses his people. Um, to bless someone or something literally in the language is to give life. You know, I know that it's oftentimes church language like the, the old grandma in the church will say, God bless you, which means you're a wreck, right? But to, but to bless someone or something is to give life. We can bless with our words. And God is the source of all blessing. And so in that first season, what we see is we see this invasion of peace that comes from the blessing of God. God has blessed men and women. God has blessed marriages. God has blessed family. God has blessed their, their commerce and their work, and it's, it's beautiful. But what happens is these people are holding on to the promises of God and experiencing blessing, and it moves into the next phase, which is complacency. It's, it's loosening your grip on the promises of God, and you just begin to drift And what this eventually leads to is is sin because the people aren't holding fast to the promises of God. They're just drifting and begin to blend in with culture. And so there's peace, there's complacency, and the final movement is just sin. The people find themselves blending in with the culture and adopting some of the, the mindset and practices of the culture. And quickly they find themselves enslaved by the culture and then oppressed by the culture. In Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, it sums it up. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. And so what they learn in this this cycle, this movement of sin, is they realize that sin sucks. Sin is painful. I mean, it it, it feels good, right? But it's like um, chocolate-covered dog food. The aftertaste is horrible. And so they they experience sin, they experience slavery, and they they recognize that sin brings pain, even sin that looks and feels good. The the pain typically comes in judgment of oppression from the surrounding nations and culture. And so we read, they provoked the Lord to anger, verse 12, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. And these enemies oppress them. And the, the pain and oppression lasts for, for years, sometimes decades. But finally the people, finally they hit rock bottom and are so broken they cry out to God. And in this crying out to God, God sends a judge or a, a leader to deliver the people. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who sent them out of the hands of these raiders. And so the judges, as you've explored them, they're, they're interesting characters. They're, they're not just like magistrates who... Um, exercise ju- justice and, and mediate between conflicts, but they're like part judge, they do that. They're part warrior, part, part prophet, part like revolutionary leader that God raised up to overthrow the oppressors. Their victory leads to a time of peace, and as long as the judge is alive, the people seek after God and follow his ways. But as soon as the, the judge passes, the people go back to the rebellion. And in Judges 2, we get a a total summary of the total book. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, uh, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways. So again and again, we see this, this painful cycle repeating itself. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what do, we, what do we do to get out of this cycle? Well, God raises up 12 judges, and in the book of Judges, we um, have record of six of the judges. And th- those six judges are Othniel, Ahud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. And so today we're gonna pick back up with Judges chapter eight in the story of Gideon. And we're gonna, we're gonna primarily look at his successes and failures. And he had a lot of successes. I mean, he had a highlight reel of successes. In Judges chapter six, um, Gideon is called as a young man, and God calls him to tear down the family altars, which I know like today we can be like, oh yeah, I'd do that. Um, he goes and tears down the family altars. What's interesting is he does it in the middle of the night. Why? Why does he do it in the middle of the night? Because he's afraid. I mean, this would be like um, your, your son goes to Bible and beach, and he hears the gospel, and it changes his life. And you're like, this is great. Finally, he'll obey me, Right? So he comes back and he's like, dad, I love Jesus. And you're like, amen, giving him high fives. You're going to church with him. you're excited. And then football season comes around in August and, and you're a big tailgater, right? And so you go to get your grill and, and put it in your motor home and, and the grill is demolished. And you look where the flag might be. I don't know if it's, it's probably UK, right? Because Cardinals wasn't like idolatrous this year, but the UK is like pretty idolatrous and, and, uh, and it's burned down. Right? And you go to your son and you're like, hey, did you see that the grill was broken? He was like, Yeah, dad. Yeah, dad. No God but God. Now you wouldn't be like, Amen, son. You'd probably want to kill him, right? That's what's going on with Gideon. I mean, Gideon in his zeal destroys the family altar. And then in Judges chapter 7, we see Gideon taking lead in one of the most epic battles. I mean, historically, from a biblical theological perspective, the Battle of Midian was like the Battle of Gettysburg. It was like D-Day as far as the movement of God's history of pursuing his sacred romance, of pursuing his people from Genesis to Revelation. And then we come to Judges chapter 8, and we see that Gideon is the man. And in, in Judges chapter 8, let's pick back up with 8, verse 22. Verse 22, the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon Gideon is basically like, hey, no God, but God. No rule, but God's rule. No king, but the king of kings. And if we stopped here, he would be the man. I know you can kind of like break down his life and see these dark episodes. But for the most part, I mean, it's just a highlight reel to this moment in Judges chapter 8. You're the man. He's like, no, I'm not the man. And what we see here is is it doesn't end there. Verse 24, and then he said, I do have one request that each one of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom for the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. So it's like, hey, I don't need to be king, I don't need to be ruler, I don't need to be lord, but I need to get paid. How's that work for? They're like, of course, you can get paid. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. They said, of course, they're yours, right? You're the man. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on the camel's back. And before you, before you go off here, I mean, it, it was customary to take plunder, Right? I mean, we see when Moses led the people out of Israel, like they, stole, they, they gathered the plunder from the Egyptians. But it goes downhill from here. Verse 27, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it, worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So what we see is very quickly it moves from, hey, you're the man, him going, I'm not the man, and him going, hey, I, I need to get paid. Like I might not want the title or position of king, but you know, functionally, like, that's where I wanna be. That's, that's what's going on. And, and this movement of this, this temptation of power eventually leads to this temptation of greed, which leads to this temptation of sexual morality, where, where they literally prostituted themselves before the foreign gods. And, and what we see here is, is just the law of momentum. The, the spiritual path, whether it's spiritual deformation or spiritual transformation, always moves forward by momentum. You know, sin brings more sin. That's the, the law of momentum. I mean, you know this in the business world. We're, we're seeking to create, capture, and sustain momentum, right? What? I want momentum. Here's the thing. Sin, it looks and feels right, but it brings more sin. But the corollary is also true. So, so does obedience. I mean, obedience is life-giving. It is. I'm not a fundy preacher who's going to tell you sin isn't fun. Sin's fun. But obedience, life with God, is energizing, and it brings more divine energy. And so Gideon finds himself falling to the sins of sex, money, and power. And I just encourage you, just write that down in your notes if you're taking notes. Sex, money, and power. You are never going to move beyond sex, money, and power, all right? There's a civil war of the soul in relationship to sex, money, and power. And this is key to understanding godly legacy, godly ambition, what is true success and failure. You never move beyond sex, money, and power. What I mean by that is oftentimes in the church, you know, the newbies will come in and they'll have like a porn problem or something. And it's like, oh, you, used to, you, you deal with lust? Yeah, I dealt with lust in my 20s. I, I used to deal with my lust. Like, look, we're gonna deal with lust. Until we're not breathing anymore and we're seeing Jesus Christ face to face. Can I get an amen, brother? Amen. Like you, you don't like get over it. Maybe you'll have momentum and obedience, but, but you are in danger of a snare. The same kind of snare of getting if you think like I've conquered that. Or money. Money. If there's self-righteousness anywhere, there's a lot of self-righteousness in the church. Oh, I used to struggle with greed. You know, but now I give 10% of my income. And, and I pray before the holy saint Dave Ramsey daily. <laughs> Turn him on in the radio and podcast and bio, like, right? You, no, like search your heart, right? Search your heart. I mean, maybe if you're this standard of generosity, but it says God looks down from the heavens to see if there's anyone righteous, right? Anyway, so he's not like street level righteousness right? That's what we do. We do this street level. Like, am I right? Am I right financially? Like, oh yeah, I give 10% I'm actually increasing it. You know, I, I, I increased it to 15%. And so we have this street level and it says, God looks down from the heavens to see if there's anyone righteous and no, not one. So money, sex, or power. And it's difficult in the church. We don't quite know what to do with power. You know, power is a, a difficult concept. I mean, I've sat with, with Christian men before and they're like, I don't have power. And they're like, you know, VPs and companies. And I'm like, what's your problem with power? Power's a gift. And it can be used or abused. It can be used or abused in your marriage. It can be used or abused in your parenting. It can be used or abused at work. We don't quite know what to do with the power conversation. And if you think you're all good with power, you're deceived. Now, let's just break down like, hey, who's figured out power in relationship to their children? Now, you're probably not gonna see hands raise up from those that have adult children, which should cause a little bit of despair for those that have little bits, because you're like, Man, when am I gonna figure out this power thing and discipline when I finally release them into the world? Well then you gotta deal with the power dynamics of like in law, you know, son in law's, daughter in laws, grandchildren. Power is something we deal with until we die. And we face it, and we can grow, we can have, experience progress, and we can experience God's grace and, and, and abundance, but it's an ongoing civil war of the soul. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its hand again during Gideon's lifetime. The land had peace for 40 years. And if you're working through this passage just like verse by verse, it's kind of confusing because it's like whoa, like Gideon falls prey to sin compromises. I mean, he's definitely going into complacency. He's drifting. But then it's like, wow, there was peace. And so what we see here is this cycle is is all happening at once. There's peace in the land. They're not under oppression of their enemies. And yet there's this compromise, this complacency, this like casual drifting in relationship to their faith. And then we read in verse 29, Jerubbaal, son of Joash, went back home to live, which is really interesting because this is Gideon. And so Gideon's name in the Hebrew means to cut down, which is like, he's the dude. He cut down. He cut down God's enemies. He cut down family altars. And now he's called Jerubbaal, Baal, which essentially means to contend as Baal. And that's what took place. I mean, it's like, it's Baal, Baal one. He had 70 sons, this being Gideon of his own. And he had many wives, his concubine who lived in Shechem also bore him a son whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the uh, Bizrites. Just say it with confidence, all right? He's the, he's the What's interesting here, and again, this is, this is challenging because he's the only um, judge to be given an honorable burial. Only, only judge to be given an honorable burial despite this idolatry. And it also says, That he died at a good old age, which is like code for saying he was blessed, which is difficult because it's like, wait, this guy, this guy is leading the nation and they're moving into rebellion, into godlessness, and he dies at a good old age. The only other two people are David and Abraham, who that's reckoned of that died at a good old age. No sooner had Gideon died, though, than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up baal Berith as their god and did not remember the Lord their God who has rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbaal, that is, Gideon, in spite of all the good things he had done. This is the strange world of the Bible. You know, and... It's easy to domesticate it and sanitize it, but it's, what's beautiful about it is when we let the scriptures come to us as they are. And so here we see this man whose life was marked by incredible success, incredible failure, and then it, it looks like his life's success externally before those, but as we read it, it seems like an utter failure. So what, what can we learn from the life of Gideon? What can we learn? There's three things I want you to leave here with. The first thing is don't believe the press that comes with success. All right? Don't believe the press that comes with success. I'm going back to to Judges chapter 8, verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son, your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. <clears throat> but Gideon told them, I'll not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So what we see here is there's a big gap between what Gideon said and what Gideon actually did. You know, Gideon could talk the talk, and I think a lot of us are really good at talking the talk of humility. You know, talking the talk of humility. Uh, I, I Oftentimes, I've worked with a lot of Christian leaders, and Christian leaders will You know, they'll be a part of like a growing exploding company and they'll be like, it's not me. It's just God. And I'm like, what? And I I listen to their story and and I'll hear things like they, they grew up with a, a father who had an incredible work ethic and they just have this massive bandwidth and essentially successful business leaders are those who can absorb and face the most pain. You know, there's no shortcuts in the business world. We think there is. There's no shortcuts in life. Who can absorb the most pain? So it's like, well, talk to me about how you face faced the pain in scaling this business. And they're like, oh, well. I... It's like, yeah, it's okay to, to own your gifts. But there's oftentimes this Jesus juke, oh, it's, it's not me. It's just God. And, and it's like, well, no, no, let's, let's talk about that. Because important to humility is owning our gifts and competencies. And, and there's nothing wrong with receiving encouragement or receiving accolades or or um, receiving recognition. The danger is what we do with that. I mean, here's the truth. We we want leaders who are confident. We want leaders who are self-confident. You know, who have a sense of confidence and established competencies and and can make decisions and bring a sense of urgency. And that measure of confidence, though, needs to be measured and grounded in humility. So so as we experience um, skill, whether it's skill in marriage or skill in friendship or skill in parenting. I mean, that's what wisdom is, skillful living. As we grow in wisdom and as we grow in skill, we need to grow in humility. So it's not something we arrive at. And it's very easy in the church to learn the language of humility, but not lean into the reality of humility. Don't believe the press that comes with success. Success is not the whole story. And I I think what's critical here is is owning where I've been gifted and called and offering to the Lord, and it's an ongoing process. Some of us here, what's keeping us from humility is we don't own where we have skill, where we're gifted, where we have competencies. We defer it, which is really confusing. And I don't think it helps people when we just go, oh, well, it's not me, it's just God. No, you you can own your gifts, but you offer to them to the Lord. And you're not holding on, whether it's you know, your marriage or your, your parenting or your finances or your, your work and your career. No, you're, you're owning it, but your posture is one of offering it to the Lord. Your posture of one, one of the things that, that I tell myself oftentimes, and I've experienced great success and great failure, is I just remind myself, like in God's eyes, I'm. I mean, the thing I say to myself is I'm just a janitor. And if you're a janitor, it's no knock on you, but no one's oftentimes like I'm a janitor, right? And the world doesn't esteem janitors. This is a skill I have. I have a set of skills and I can do great things, but you know what? So do janitors. So do stay at home moms. So do checkout clerks at the grocery store. It's just a a set of skills for the task at hand. So how can we own our skills but own them with humility. Don't believe the press. And it might just be your own press that comes with success. Second, weakness comes before strength. Weakness comes before strength. So that the paradox of the gospel and why, why places like this are so critical and, and being around a table of other men is so critical is weakness comes before strength. The paradox of the gospel is we are only strong when we are weak and right when we are wrong. We're only strong when we are weak and right when we are wrong. And so Christianity is an opportunity not to put our best foot forward, but hopefully at tables like this to put our worst foots forward. Now in Judges chapter six, Gideon gets this, right? He's like, we're the weakest of Manasseh. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. God is with you, mighty hero, warrior, essentially. And Gideon says, sir, with me? Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family, uh, one translation, and I'm the runt of the litter. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So Gideon's strength, his success was found in his weakness. It was found in his submission. I, I have this word from God under the rule of God. And as I walk in this, this word, I will experience God's rule as a man under the rule of God. I'm, I'm weak, I'm foolish, I'm fragile, but my weakness is an opportunity for his strength. My foolishness is an opportunity for his wisdom. My fragility is an opportunity for the stability of the kingdom of God at hand. It's hard being weak. And I'll just tell you, if you don't have someone that you can like, break it down with, and say, I feel like I'm falling apart on speed dial, or you can just immediately reach out, you're in a dangerous place. And I'm not saying you just put your life out there before everybody. Man, there's, there's, there should be a few people in our lives that we can talk about despair. You know, like I'm, I'm just despairing. We've, we've talked about this as a church. What do I do with thoughts of just ending my life? What do I do with thoughts of ending my marriage? What do I do with thoughts of just hating myself we we need safe places we need we need structure that god intends and and it's not only this but it's not less than brothers who we can share our life with who we can get raw and real with and i want to encourage you take the first step open the conversation throw it out there and sometimes you're going to have to work through a, a lot of men to find that men you know in Proverbs, it talks about the wisdom that comes from knowing how to seek out counsel and, and find those safe places. It takes skill, but when you find them, like, I would pursue. Pursue with all your strength. Well, when, anyone watch Ted Lasso? Yeah, like, it's great. You have to get an Apple subscription, so, but it's cheap. It's like, it, it's a great film. I mean, it's not like Christian film, but um, great film. And wh- why, if you've watched Ted Lasso, it's about a A football coach who becomes a um, soccer coach, football coach in England, um, with no experience in football or soccer. And um, why why do you think, I mean, it it was nominated for 20 Emmys, 20 Emmys. So historically, for a freshman uh, series, it's like the highest nominated series in history. Why do you think um, it's so wildly popular? Those of you that have watched it, what is it about Ted Lasso? It's a positive... Positive, warmth, what else? Relatable, Relatable authentic. What? Mental yeah, mental health. What'd you say? Mental health. mental health, yeah. I mean, he's just raw. He He's raw, and he's vulnerable. And there's something that attracts us to that vulnerability. He's tender. He cares. He connects with people. He speaks to the heart. He genuinely wants to build community. I think there's such a long, like, where can I where can I be me? Not in some like narcissistic, like this is just now, like where can I be me? And it's okay to be me, but people have hope for me. They see him a part of a bigger process. And this leads to the final point. Jesus is the only hero. So don't believe the press that comes with, this, with success. Weakness comes before strength. Jesus is the only hero. And the story of Gideon, in his success and his failure, foreshadow a hero who is able to save, a hero who is able to break the cycle, a hero who is victorious as in the day of Midian. And it's pretty discouraging if this is all you had as your holy scriptures and it ends in Judges 8 or even the book of Judges. Because you you just have this cycle of sin. It actually gets progressively worse in the book of Judges. So like, it's pretty bad with Gideon, it just gets worse with Samson. And what I want to encourage you to remember and remind yourself, not only when you read Judges, is that Jesus is the hero. And we don't, we don't have time to get into Samson. We don't have time to get into all the failures in the Bible. You know, from, from Genesis to Revelation, it's just like, I mean, people talk about the good old days, and it's like, well, Genesis, three, Genesis 1 and 2 were the good old days, and since then, it's been a succession of perpetually bad days until Jesus came. And there were just a, a lot of failures throughout the scriptures, And and there's something to learn in that. Jesus is the only hero. In Isaiah, we read this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. So who's Isaiah? His people are being oppressed and he gets this prophetic word hundreds of years after the book of Judges. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And like warriors dividing the plunder, for you will break the yoke of their slavery. It's like, oh, what's going on here? And lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Sounds familiar, right? You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. I mean, this is a classic passage. So passages are classic in the scripture because they're worthy of your meditation. Classic Christmas passage, classic Christ passage. So who is this hero, warrior, judge? For a child is born to us. Gives us this prophetic picture of the Messiah that's to come. Like, where does he go? I mean, there's so many battles he can go to. And he's like, he's coming as in the day of Midian. And you might be tempted then to go, okay, well, the battle is remembered. But Gideon was canceled. Right? Because, like, you, you can't do that. Right? You, so, like, he, he was canceled. Nope. No more, no more Gideon, but we're going we're to kind of sanitize the story on the day of Midian. Well, you'd be wrong, according to the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, or you can just follow along right up here. So in Hebrews, which is one of like the, the richest passages regarding Jesus Christ, Hebrews 11, and the author is recounting the, the hall of faith. I mean, the heroes of faith. And he says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. Like, what do we do with that? Now, if the author of Hebrews said it would take too long to talk about how jacked up this guy was and the failures of Gideon would go, yeah, makes sense, based on our study and reading of the word, but it's the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, And all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. I find that really encouraging. I find that encouraging because I'm a man that has experienced great success and I'm a man that has experienced great failure. I find that very encouraging because the the older I get, it actually seems like the struggle increases and the longing for heaven increases. And I'm like, come, come Lord Jesus. The good news is we couldn't experience submission apart from Jesus Christ. Our submission is even a gift from God so that no one can boast. God doesn't even give us the opportunity to boast in our submission. The gospel is life with God under the rule of God, and it's good news. When I have the power to submit and live in line with the will and wisdom of God in my marriage and my finances and freedom from anxiety regarding the future, that's that's a gift. The gospel is a word that works. God knows how this world is ordered and it's in a state of disorder. And the gospel calls us into ordered living. And I wanna encourage you that we need one another for this movement into God's grace. And so I wanna close with just the questions I wanna encourage you to ask in your group. Where am I in danger of believing the press that comes with my success? Where am I in danger of believing the press that comes with my success. Is it your career? Is it your wealth? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it your health? Is it your ministry? And note, if you're struggling to find an area, it might be proof that you're in severe danger. Yeah. And, and the goal isn't to go sin hunting, but just to be aware, where am I in danger? That's what a brother does. He's able to speak the truth in love or just hear and just hold your story before the spirit of God. If the paradox of the gospel is that we're only strong when we're weak and right when we're wrong, where is my lack of gospel vulnerability keeping me from growing? Where in my life do I need to model I am a sinner saved by grace and a child of God struggling to fight the good fight of faith? We Actually, I lead a class on Sunday and I'm, we've, we've started opening up with that phrase at times. Because one man came a few weeks ago, and he was like, I, I know all of you got your life together. He was walking through a divorce, and he's like, and I'm like, no, we are really messed up. And if you put any one of us at the center, we could spend the whole hour just, just kind of facilitating a conversation about how messed up they are and how in need of Jesus. And so we, we started opening up by saying, I am a sinner saved by the grace of, you have to say your name, and a saint struggling to fight the good fight. And it, it's just something that it's so easy to forget. And I know so many of you are like, I don't belong here. I'm too messed up. I don't belong around this table. And I'm just telling you, man, if we could put like the spotlight on any man here who seems like they have it together, you would, would receive a great invitation from the Lord. We are all in desperate need of grace. And we need to communicate that because people kind of just see our highlight reel. They see this energy. And so we need to actively let people know, I am a sinner saved by grace. You're... Your family doesn't need to be a good Christian family. We don't need any more domesticated, sanitized churchianity. What we need is men and women who are communicating to the next generation, I am a man, I am a woman who desperately needs Jesus, who wakes up every morning and rolls over and gets on my face and says, God, save me again. That's the need. And and then we'll have something to witness to. What will we witness to? God's saving us, amen? God's rescuing us, but he's rescuing us today, right now, not like 20 years ago. Salvation is something that happens in the past, but it's something that happens in the present. And thanks be to God, it doesn't end there. It will be completed in the future. Finally, where do I need to declare and demonstrate in my life that Jesus is the only true hero and live out the reality that I'm a man in desperate need of Jesus and my success and failures? In this man challenge group with my friends, coworkers, spouse, children, grandchildren neighbors. And maybe the only thing you confess before the men this morning is, man, I just, I really wanna grow in vulnerability. I wanna encourage you, the skill around this table is critical for your work as well. We should be the best at this, men. We should be the best at being attuned to the emotions of others. And I don't say that as, as an indictment fully, but as an invitation. And Jesus provides wisdom and skill in this. Jesus provides us wisdom and skill in navigating the complexities of work, marriage, home, neighboring, but he begins with submission. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks. We ask that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. Since as members of one body, we were called to peace. Dear Jesus, you are the king. You are the warrior. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the hero of all heroes. Today, Like every day, somebody or something is going to try to rule our hearts, and we don't want anything or anyone to be the boss of me or us, the rule of our lives but you. And so today we declare afresh uh, that it could be our, our bitterness, our pride, our fear. It could be our regret and shame over the past or anxiety over the future. It could be our need to be respected by our wives or honored by our children. There are so many things that seek to rule our heart. But right now, right here, we submit to you and declare we want your rule. We want your peace to usher into our hearts, to fill our conversations. We pray, Lord, that our conversations with one another in this day would be marked by men who are under the authority of another. We pray that we wouldn't do anything to forfeit the life, that is life abundantly, that you are offering us moment by moment. Because you have forgiven us, Lord, give us the grace to forgive one another. Because you have chosen us, Lord, give us the grace to choose and to be present to one another. We love you. We thank you for your word. We ask that you bless the, the preaching of it. And whatever is good and noble and worthy, that we'd be continually meditating on that. Whatever is not, we'd just pass aside. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said.